Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And welcome everybody in the booth here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Our day-to-day, I feel like we open the show with some sort of context about the day or the weather and could it swing any further it's 40 or 50 one day and you're in a great mood the next day it's snowing and you're walking through the nasty stuff to get around and here in downtown uh, Syracuse today strolling in after a quick grab of lunch down the block and away we go Joe is in the uh, sidecar today hello Joe Matt good to see you you notice this mic is especially droopy it's been that way uh, for the week or is that just me uh, I think it's been like that for the week. Yeah. Maybe we can kind of get that dealt with. Gotta tighten up various items here. It feels old school now when you put it on the desk that way. It's kind of a Edward R. Murrow kind of yeah. feel that we're going for there. Or Frazier. Frazier. Frazier had that going. I uh, actually had a little Frazier on uh, the Netflix last night. was doing a little game prep in the evening, as I uh, often do, and you kind of – if there's not another game or something on to watch, you get the Netflix. Uh, went through uh, an episode of Drug Lords oh. on the uh, Cali cartel. They were bad mama jamas, just like uh, our boy Pablo. And then uh, and then I said, I need something a little lighter than that. So what kind of mindless thing I could put on? Right. And it was it was Frasier. Frasier is a timeless show. It really is. It's a good show. You know, I don't. I'm not afraid to admit it. It's a quality program. I mean. Cheers is fantastic. I, I did watch Cheers beginning to end on Netflix, and uh, that would be a very successful spinoff. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most successful spinoff of any show there's ever been. Uh, yeah, I think unless you're a real sitcom historian, and then you go back to the All in the Family. To, uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, what, Jefferson's is a spinoff. Right. And th- I mean, that that's back when there were a few, lot fewer channels and uh, some really smart people doing some some smart stuff. Back then, right? Edith, didn't Edith have her own show, some sort, or uh, no? But didn't uh, Archie had a spinoff Archie. of All in the Family because her character dies? Okay, at the end of all. Spoiler alert! If yeah. you haven't seen the show, <laughs> I don't remember it that vividly. Jeez, Edith, the way the way you said, Jeez, Edith. She had a uh, breast, that was, breast that cancer. That was uh, Hello Newman before Hello <laughs> Newman, and what are there? Are there classic uh, recurring put downs in today's sitcoms? I don't really watch a lot of the. I can't think of any out there now. Yeah. Unless uh, you want to use a, I don't know a reference from Big Bang Theory, but I can't pronounce yeah, all of those a, words. That's the thing. I don't, never got into Big Bang Theory or some of those. There's a lot of good television out there. Frasier, Frasier was a actually lot to keep up with. Frasier was the last sitcom I can think of that I would go out of my way to watch every single week and have seen every episode multiple times really? and never get tired of it. Really? It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of talent there. A lot of good writing, good stuff, quality program. You couldn't ask for a better cast. It was pretty good. Ugh. I'm going to have to go. Uh, that'll be I, my plan I, I will say this, though. Of, of all the shows that I've heard people say, oh, I'm a devotee of this or I've watched every episode, I think you got to be the first to tell me that yours is Frasier. Shouldn't be surprising. 
uh, <laughs> that I, you're weird or that it's yeah. that particular one? I mean, you're you're a weird dude. I'm a very weird guy. Yeah. I admit that. Yeah, well, you more than admit it. You'd flaunt it. If I were a if I were wealthy, I would be eccentric. But because I'm not wealthy, I'm weird. Right. So yeah, I, it's kind of a spectrum there. Yes, a few more zeros at the end of my paycheck. Would you be, be a recluse if you had the means? I'm a recluse now. I don't go out very often. Well, some days you just call in sick if there's snow, and you, that's, that's true. You, you call in, but I'm here today. I'm ill prepared. You, right. you did make it in today. Yes, I did. Roads weren't too bad today. No, they weren't. Well, we're heading on the road here. The uh, Orange basketball team leaving right after our show on the uh, bus to the airport and off to the ATL, the Orange and Georgia Tech tomorrow. See that the uh, snappy Yellow Jacket fans down there, it's their fourth straight sellout. They're awfully proud of that. Uh, Around here we think it's cute. Sellout of 8,600. Syracuse has drawn 8,600 roughly for every single home game in the history of the Dome, and very often two and three times that now, here's regular a, season. There's here, been a couple of other exceptions. Here's a question for you. Yeah, you, you're not afraid to throw the random question right in the middle of something, but no. what, what would that be, Joe? You you travel a lot. To, you have for a long time. What do you do on long flights? Do you do research? Do you yes. uh, do some recreation? What what type of recreation? I, I'm not bringing out the golf clubs on the flight. Is that well, what you're going to Well, perhaps reading or uh, watching uh, movies. I may read. Typically, it's uh, reading for work. I may the things over the course of the week that I you know click add to reading list. Yeah, I may catch up with those on the flight. Okay, on the iPad. But on this particular flight, I'm going to do my kind of round out some homework on the game. All right, we've we've done uh, done quite a bit, and we'll we'll get to do some more. Did get a little uh, a couple things actually before we get to the news item that was. Uh, sent to us here just just before the the start of the show. Um, so at Georgia Tech, first of all, fourth straight sellout, which not only in, in all seriousness, good for them. Congrats, they've done a nice job. Small building, renovated it. It's got a lot of positives, some negatives slash oddities, but a lot of positives. It's a nice place to watch a game. To sell it out four games in a row, while they also happen to be in the midst of what is currently a four game losing streak, that's pretty good work. By uh, by Georgia Tech to do it. Um, the opponents have helped. Clemson is a longtime rivalry uh, for them, and uh, they played Clemson tough and lost on Sunday night. That's a sellout. Syracuse is a marquee name, but uh, this is not a, a top ten team this year, or even a top twenty five team. So they've uh, sold it out for that. There will be a lot of uh, Syracuse fans there, I'm sure, as is often the case when you go to the big cities, and and there'll be a few in Atlanta. So uh, looking forward to the atmosphere tomorrow night. But just shows you, and we absolutely take it for granted here, the idea of the capacity of Georgia Tech's basketball arena, which they've sold out four times in a row, 8,600. Okay, well, double that. Let's call it for round number 1,700, double. That's like the starting point. That'll be the smallest crowd Syracuse will have at home all year. Or se- some, I may have said 1,700, I meant 17,000. 17,000 is like the baseline, right, based on season tickets and – and uh, walk up. You're not going to have a game uh, less than that, and quite frequently it's closer to three times that, and certainly would hope that uh, we'll be in that neighborhood when Virginia comes to the Carrier Dome on Saturday, and it's a testament to the importance of the basketball program in this community, the diehard fan following, the commitment made by the fans to make their way through the snow and to the games, um, and that kind of thing. We are kind of joking yesterday about the, the various retorts you could have, because 
Georgia Tech is kind of boasting about their fourth straight sellout. You know, that's eh, kind of cute, you know, from a, a Syracuse perspective. Four sellouts in a row at Georgia Tech would get you roughly what a sellout is here. That'd be 34,000, right? And that's uh, on par with the with the biggest crowd that's ever been here for a basketball game. So uh, that continues to underscore the uniqueness of uh, the way Syracuse uh, draws and the monstrosity that the basketball program is. The other thing Georgia Tech has done, I just saw on Twitter, is they have created a T-shirt. I'd forgotten all about this. Here it feels like there's something dramatic or you know, every game we, we have three days worth of breaking it down and setting it up and then it's on to the next game and you move on. Mm-hmm. So it feels like we've talked it all out. I'd forgotten that last year this happened um, at the Georgia Tech game with the air ball chant and then a Syracuse fan apparently calling Georgia Tech claiming that that was unsportsmanlike and Josh Pastler, the Georgia Tech coach, calling the fan back and starting the conversation. You remember that at all? Yeah. Because it, it, it rang a bell when reading it, but I certainly hadn't thought about it uh, going into this game. They now have made a T-shirt related to that airball for this game tomorrow night. It's going to be a whiteout. They got white t-shirts. They say airball up and down them, and uh, that's all to uh, to pull that together. So uh, tip your cap to them. Feel sorry for whatever fan that was that called in. Pretty lame. But uh, that's why, again, it's a big deal. When Syracuse comes in as a visiting team, big deal. It's a big deal. And uh, that's even with the team, you know, in air quotes here, only 4-4 four and four in the conference or only uh, as good as they are this year and, and unranked. But um, looking forward to it uh, tomorrow night, the only scheduled meeting between Syracuse and Georgia Tech. Dan Bonner will have the call of that game with Tim Brando tomorrow on uh, regional sports networks, I believe. So you'll be flipping around the dial to uh, find in your neighborhood uh, where that game will be. And we'll talk with Dan uh, about that game when we come back. Dan has had a number of Syracuse basketball games already, including the last one, the win at Pittsburgh on Saturday. He's got the next one. What did he think of what we saw in Saturday's game, which was the breakout game for Barama Sidibe? What about the conference overall and uh, what we're seeing throughout the ACC? We'll do that with Dan Bonner as we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. The Orange Women home Thursday versus Virginia Tech. Orange pregame 645. Tip seven. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Off and running on another day, another day in the booth brought to you by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. Good to have you along with us. Orange ready to get on the road on their way to Atlanta where we will run into our next guest. He's got the call of the game tomorrow night, the Orange and Georgia Tech. We welcome Spiro Ditas to the show. Hello, Sp- no, I'm sorry, uh, Dan Bonner. The program. Hello, I'm Dan. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing all right. You're not I'm with Spiro. Right. On, on my way to the game as we speak. You're not with Spiro then? No, I'm not with Spiro. Not today. <laughs> Actually, I will be with Spiro on February the 11th. We're doing a game together. Okay, good. Little inside joke. Jo- Joe, who still doesn't get the joke, is drinking his coffee in the uh, booth next to us here. But it, it's funny to you and me, Dan, and we'll keep it uh, between you and me. But anyway... Okay, it, I, think, I think that's fine, Matt. <laughs> looking forward to it. So you're the uh, official 
television sportscaster related to uh, Syracuse basketball, so we thought who better to check in with to get a little uh, pulse on what you're seeing here. You, you had a couple of games early in the season in the Dome. You had really probably a tough one to evaluate Saturday at Pittsburgh where both teams were kind of stuck in the mud for a great deal of it. it it's the breakout game of the season for Barama Sadibe. So let's start there with, with what your observations were from the Pittsburgh game. You know, Matt, I don't think that whether you're stuck in the mud or not stuck in the mud uh, throughout most of the game doesn't make any difference. The, the question becomes who can make plays at the end of a game to win the game, and that's what I've seen from Syracuse in the games that I've, I've done with them. They're not an offensive juggernaut, so they're not going to break away from a lot of people, so they're going to be involved in close games, and if they can make plays, then they win the games. And how great must it have been for Jim Beheim? It's like he was uh, putting on an old pair of trousers and found a couple of hundred bucks in his pocket, <laughs> and here's Barama Sidibe plays 35 minutes in ACC games all year leading into the game, plays over 30 minutes, has 18.16 rebounds and three blocked shots. My heavens, what a performance that was. And Coach Beheim, we got to give him credit on a couple of things. Uh, one is that he had said on our show uh, Thursday night, he said Thursday's practice for Barama was the best practice he had had all year and uh, that he was – uh, almost certainly going to play him in the game. And then as it turned out, uh, Pascal Chuku didn't have much uh, to offer early. And, and here comes Barama. And you hit on it right from the start, the idea of making plays. And that was the same credit that Beheim gave Barama after the game. And look, he also fouled a three-point shooter twice in the closing minutes. But it's because he's trying to make things happen and has made things happen. A young man that doesn't have a lot of experience is going to make some mistakes, but he did an awful lot of good things, and I know that he's been hurt. He's been bothered with that tendonitis, and so I'm wondering if getting opportunities and taking advantage of those opportunities will improve his tendonitis at all. Right. Well, that has a tendency. It wouldn't be the first. I, I'm not accusing uh, Sidibe of that, you know, but it, that happens in uh, in baseball all the time, right? The, you ask for the it's the old Wally Pip syndrome. You ask for the day off, and your backup uh, goes out and has a big game. All of a sudden, that injury uh, doesn't seem quite as severe, and uh, the disabled list not as inviting. And uh, as for Baramo, you can expect that he'll be uh, back and used liberally in the game against Georgia Tech on. Uh, uh, tomorrow night on Wednesday night, and that's a game where you'll be working, Dan, with uh, Tim Brando, so if you'd like to get some airtime, now's your opportunity. Well, that's true. Uh, you know, I, as I tell everybody, uh, only half-jokingly, when I work with Tim, it's generally a non-speaking role. Uh, but uh, Tim and I have worked together for many, many years. We are, we are old friends, and uh, I say that jokingly. I love Tim, uh, and we have a good time together. And, I, you know, I'm looking forward to a very interesting game. I think it has the chance to be an awful lot like the Pitt game in that Georgia Tech is going to play a lot of zone, uh, and I think it's going to be important for Syracuse, just as in the game against Pitt, to get baskets close to the goal. That's where Sidibe came in handy over the weekend, and I think that's where somebody, whether it be Sidibe or Brissett or Chukwu or somebody, uh, is going to need to score close to the basket uh, because I think that's going to be a big key to the game for both of those teams. You know, it's, it seems so obvious. We, 
you talk about some teams' approaches. Well, why do they shoot a lot of threes? Because they give you more for those. Why do you shoot more you know, closer <laughs> to the basket or, or, or try to get there? Because those shots, in theory, are easier to make. Zones that have been really packed in against Syracuse this year have made it tough on them because this is not a tremendous jump-shooting team. They made just three three-pointers in the game uh, against Pittsburgh on Saturday, and it's just not part of their makeup this year. O'Shea Brissett is the guy that right now probably has the most room for improvement and what he can do in the mid-range, right? He, he has really struggled in the two-point field goal around the rim, finishing because he's such a, a, an acrobatic and uh, productive offensive rebounder. He's going to have opportunities in there. Hello, Dan. Maybe Dan can't hear us. Matt, you there? Oh, there we are. Hey, buddy. Okay, there you go. Dan's on go. his drive to Atlanta. But no, I was saying, I, Dan, I, that uh, this, I, I, this could I, be I, one I for Brissette. About Brissette uh, but, you know, I think that, uh, it's, again, and I, I've said this before, and, and I really mean it, I think in the Atlantis, Atlantic Coast Conference, every team in the league, from top to bottom, with the exception of Virginia, is still tinkering around with their lineup, still trying to figure out what is the best way for us to play. And I think that that's part of the whole process. Uh, uh, and I think Brissett is he's a guy who uh, I have written down in my notes uh, that I use for games that it appears to me that he's better going to the basket uh, than he is shooting threes. Uh, so, and, and I think uh, Tyus Battle has shown a much uh, greater proclivity this year than last to take the ball and attack the basket. Now, that doesn't mean you, you drive it in there and try to shoot it against four guys, but I think the more Syracuse attacks, I think the more success they'll find offensively, but the guys just have to figure that out. You can tell them that till you're blue in the face, but they've got to experience it themselves and develop some confidence in that way. Yeah, we're looking to see that uh, continue to develop with uh, just a little bit more than half of the ACC season left. Just another minute or so with Dan Bonner of uh, CBS and of uh, Raycom and the ACC Network and all that kind of good stuff. He'll be on the call of the game tomorrow night in Atlanta, the Orange taking on Georgia Tech. And Dan, I read this morning a comment from Josh Pastner, the Georgia Tech coach, related to their season last year, and he says, look, we were unbeaten when we scored 70. Scoring was a challenge, but the, that's really what is the case with this Syracuse team. They get, you know, they're going to hold most teams down. They get to 70, uh, they're in pretty good shape, and, and that has sort of borne out. And, and as you say, Georgia Tech's going to make that a challenge. Uh, ben Lammers last year, the defensive player of the year in the conference, is back, and um, with Georgia Tech's, you know, kind of gotten something there with obviously Josh Okogie's a tremendous offensive player, and and Jose Alvarado, the point guard, has been a nice find for them. Well, and it has one of the interesting guys is Dulai Gay, mm-hmm. and he he has been very productive over the last eight or nine games on the inside for Georgia Tech, and while that's wonderful for them, it has presented an interesting quandary because Gay operates strictly on the inside. And so when Gay is on the inside, Lammers cannot be. And so if you look over the last eight or nine games, yes, Gay has played very well, but Lammers has sort of been out of the offense for some reason. And I think, again, we're talking about tinkering. Georgia Tech is tinkering, trying to figure out how to get all the productivity they can from Gay, who's six feet ten, while at the same time getting the productivity from Lammers. And so that's, that's a challenge for them, and they're, 
they're struggling with that particular challenge right now. Gay had a huge game against Clemson on Sunday, 14 points, eight boards, was active early in that one. Lammers, to his credit, did have 10 points and a team-high nine rebounds. Lammers had a huge game against the Orange in Atlanta last year, uh, 23.7 boards, eight block shots. Uh, he really had a tremendous season, was clearly the uh, defensive player of the year. A couple of quick hitters, Dan, before we lose you, and, and we'll let you get back on your uh, drive to the ATL there. Uh, we'll see your alma mater, Virginia, coming into the Dome on the weekend. And, uh, boy, that that was a statement they made with the win in Durham, able to hold a, a Durham team to something like 25 points, or a Duke team, but to 25 points below its a scoring average for the season. And I don't know if it's uh, jinxing it or whatever, but you're starting to see more uh, people really thinking this could be the year for the Cavaliers. Well, yeah, uh, they're having a real good season, but I think Tony Bennett, after the game, put it in great perspective. Yes, it's a great win. Yes, we haven't won here in 25 years, but let's be serious. It's one game in the middle of the conference season. They haven't won anything yet, and they really haven't dealt with the same kind of injury adversity that many of the other teams in the league have dealt with. Now it seems they got a couple of guys sick, if I read the recent reports, that the Wilkins kid is struggling with a back problem, that the Hunter kid is having some ankle problems. And so they've got a tough stretch coming up. They play Louisville at home tomorrow night. They go to Syracuse. They still have to go to Florida State in Miami. So this is going to be a very difficult stretch for them. I've believed in them for a long time, but that doesn't mean I think they're going to go undefeated in the ACC. Yeah, well, going undefeated in the ACC would be an incredible achievement and an awfully tall order uh, pretty much unforeseen in this era to think that uh, a team would be able to do that but uh, if you win at Duke you're taking a, a big step toward it Virginia and Louisville right now are atop the ACC happen to be the next two teams Syracuse will play after tomorrow night so it's at Georgia Tech on Wednesday Virginia here Saturday and then off to Louisville for Monday night heck of a stretch and a heck of a time with you Dan we appreciate your insights and uh, wish you safe travels we'll see you tomorrow night at McCamish Pavilion. Okay, Matt, thanks a lot. You guys travel safely as well. Appreciate it. Dan Bonner working with our good friend and a friend of the show, Tim Brando. Of course, we were teasing with that a little bit. Speaking of tease, we do have some uh, injury news on Syracuse that's not what uh, Max was just reporting and not what you're uh, thinking about. So um, that lineup for the Orange is a uh, tightly packed unit right now in terms of uh, what they'll take on the road and what to expect at uh, Georgia Tech in Atlanta tomorrow against the Yellow Jackets team that uh, just lost close to Clemson on the weekend and is sub-500 for the year, both overall and in the conference, but not one to be taken lightly for the Orange. If they are able to win it, it's a four-game winning streak. It's back over 500, and it's some steam coming home to take on a very good Virginia team only game in the conference tonight is uh, North Carolina at Clemson. And then there's a full slate of action tomorrow, including not only the Syracuse game, of course, but the one that Dan just mentioned, Virginia hosting Louisville. Should point out quickly before we head to the break, Duke just blasted Notre Dame in the uh, really kind of in the fourth quarter of the game last night. Kind of kept looking up at the scoreboard. Notre Dame sort of undermanned with the injuries, but is hanging in, hanging in, hanging in. Bang, 15 nothing run, and uh, Duke won that one 88-62 last night. More to come as we continue in the booth. We'll go to Joe next. Syracuse basketball injury information in the offing as well. And back until uh, 3 o'clock today,
back with the show on Thursday to rehash the Georgia Tech game as well. We're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care. Don't look for the Washington Redskins to change their name. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell telling ESPN's Golik and Wingo he does not see Redskins owner Dan Snyder making any change. That just comes a day after Major League Baseball announced the Cleveland Indians would be uh, would be getting rid of the Chief Wahoo logo on the uniform starting in the 2019 season. Right, so the news item is the Indians' decision, which is still delayed a bit, uh, as you talked about for the uh, 2019 season. We addressed that a little bit yesterday. And then because that's in the news and because this is the Super Bowl week and because Roger Goodell is about to make his state of the league address, that's why it came up this morning with uh, Trey Wingo saying basically, hey, you're going to be asked about this at uh, that function, so we'll uh, give you the opportunity to comment on it. And the difference with the Redskins is that uh, Daniel Snyder is known as one of the more stubborn owners in the NFL. They've been talking about this for quite a long time. He has dug in his heels. He points to a Washington Post, I believe it is, poll that uh, shows that 9 out of 10 uh, Native Americans are fine with the name Redskins and their logo. Uh, how scientific that is or how accurate uh, is not for, for me to uh, to determine. But, uh, you know, this it's a tough one because do those that are that are offended in this situation, do they have a voice? what is the appropriate percentage, right? So if it was, I don't know, 30% or only 30% are offended or only 10, is that 10% too many? Um, and where does the where does the answer lie? It's it's hard to say. In this community, uh, Ray Halbreder, the uh, head of the uh, Oneida Indian Nation, is an uh, opposing force to Daniel Snyder. He would be one that would want the Washington Redskins to change their name, but doesn't sound like that's going to happen uh, anytime soon. Certainly people can speak with boycotting and not buying the merchandise and the tickets and in different ways. My commentary on the thing yesterday with the Indians is I I personally am not one who's offended by that. I understand that that some are. They have their, their right to be. My whole thing is if you determine that it's offensive and you're going to make a change, yes, I understand marketing and branding and, and how this stuff happens, but this could have already been done But from one season to the next. So um, kind of strange in my mind that the Indians are going to have one one last go around. I mean, they already have uniforms that don't feature Chief Wahoo, or at least not prominently. And I even saw on MLB.com or somewhere saying, "Hey, if if they're going to discard the logo, go back to what they look like kind of in the '70s," which to me is a neat look and uh, it's indicative. Some people are going to be bothered by the phrase "Indians" alone, you know. And if that happens, then again, bring it back locally. Are the Chiefs? Gonna, well, the Chiefs are going to change anyway, you know. So that's going to be kind of a moot point for them because they're going to the Mets. But uh, you know, you have the Kansas City Chiefs. Nobody ever says anything about that. The Florida State Seminoles have a long-standing agreement with the Seminole Nation in in terms of how this works, and and there is some money I think that uh, changes hands there uh, to support uh, some of the initiatives uh, for the Native Americans in uh, in Florida. So uh, sticky issue. No surprise though that the Redskins are not changing their position. You know, I remember when the Redskins name was a real source of controversy a year or two ago. 
Uh, and there was a sports commentator, I want to say it was Keith Oberman, who went out of his way to say Washington redacted every time yeah, there was some mention people of the say Redskins. that. I mean, you can, you can tell some have make, made the choice. They're only going to refer to the team by the city name or they'll say the Washington football team. I think Dan Levitard says the Washington racists or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, he that's his particular commentary. Everybody's got their own choice to, uh, to find the line that, that makes sense for them. The former GM of the Padres has died. Kevin Towers was 56 years old. Towers was diagnosed in 2016 with thyroid cancer and was hospitalized a few days ago because of fluid in his lungs. Towers was Padres GM from 1995 to 2009. That includes a World Series run in 1998. That's right, uh, with Kevin Brown and company. And this is sad. Uh, Towers, very well respected in the game as uh, a general manager, not only of the Padres, but uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks. And uh, we kind of talk about the Padres a little bit more than we should around here because they're uh, Pauly's team, but... Uh, what a shame. A guy who uh, was a great baseball man and uh, gone at age 56. And New Orleans is known as the Big Easy, but uh, you can also call it the Big Messy. City officials say that they have found more than 46 tons of carnival beads as part of millions of pounds of garbage that was unearthed recently from below a five-mile stretch of a downtown parade route. Unearthed from below? Yeah. I guess you wouldn't unearth from above. Now that I think Meaning about it, that it was below the streets or what? yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess when you throw the bead, maybe they land in the oh, in the, the sewer yeah. gutters and drains and stuff. So I've been to Mardi Gras, and when people ask, like, "Hey, what's it like?" or "Should I go?" I said, "Absolutely, it's an American uh, tradition and experience. If you have the ability to get there, you got to do it once to cross it off your list." But I always say, "Don't wear pants that you ever want to wear again or <laughs> shoes, because it is." filth the more that it goes on there is probably a foot deep in some spots of discarded cups wrappers beads junk refuse of all kinds Uh, i don't think that's a big surprise Uh, they know how to party they know how to clean it up too they they just go in and hose down the the streets and they you know there's horses and you know what they do um so it's absolutely a big mess i dare say though that every city has you know, big piles of debris in the city. If you're, especially if you're looking under the, you know, if you're going down under the uh, sewer grates or wherever this stuff uh, winds up, it gets pretty gross. But uh, New Orleans has survived that particular stigma for lots of decades, and they will continue to. Dewey Cares brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love it first slice. Okay. Uh, basketball injury news and a little more on a look toward the uh, Georgia Tech game when we continue on the show in the booth at the game tomorrow night. Back with Mike Waters on Thursday's show and we'll throw some Super Bowl at you on Friday. That's in the booth as we continue on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Home of the Syracuse Crunch. Mitchell Stevens across. Here's a shot. Score! Kevin Lynch ties the game. Atkinson left side, shoots, he scores! Picked off by another, Pekka takes it, for Lynch who shoots, he scores! Kevin Lynch with 103 to go in the third period, gives the Crunch its first lead, it's 3-2. to two. ESPN 97.7, 100.1, 1200 and 1440 AM. 
The Crunch return from action from the All-Star break this Friday in Utica against the Comets. Countdown of Crunch time begins at 6.45. Puck drop at 7 on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse brought to you by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can do it at 437-7644 or 4ESPN44. Another uh, injury break for Syracuse, not a good one. Um, you heard Max report in the uh, Sports Center prior to our show that uh, Jerry McNamara on his radio show last night hinted that there might be some reason to think that Matthew Moyer uh, could return soon and has returned to practice on a limited basis, I would not hold my breath on Moyer being out or being in the lineup tomorrow. And that's not, I'm not pronouncing that or reporting that. And it's nothing more than, uh, it's nothing medical. It's nothing more than my gut instinct on what Coach Beheim's reaction has been in body language. When he says, ah, he's going to be out for a while, he doesn't mean just one day. And uh, he said that not only after the, Boston College home game, but the Pittsburgh game the other day. And so uh, I would put Moyer at uh, doubtful for tomorrow night. Again, just uh, kind of educated guess and reading the the leaves in that one. But we do have word uh, from the basketball office that Howard Washington will not be available to the Orange yesterday. Apparently a leg injury in practice yesterday. He is ruled out, but is being evaluated as we speak. You could say, well, big deal. He hasn't played that much. It's increasingly a bigger deal just because of some of these other injuries. Syracuse does not have much of a bench to begin with, has not relied on the bench a great deal this year. They're uh, first in the nation in percentage of minutes played by the starters, or another way to look at it, they've played fewer bench minutes than anybody in America, so it's not part of their normal routine or rotation to be working these, these guys in. But now if you're down to really only one guy or maybe you could bring in Braden Bayer for a special circumstance like a foul-to-give situation or something like that. You're just limiting your options and the safety net you have with maybe somebody having, not that Howard Washington's going to have a breakout day and win the game, but he might go in there and provide Frank Howard a breather or a chance at perspective on the bench or any of those types of things. Well, now you kind of go into the game knowing that uh, those options are kind of out. So you pretty much can pencil in Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett for 40 minutes apiece tomorrow. And then Pascal Chukwu, Marek Dolajai, and Barama Sidibe will get the rest with uh, two of those players in at any time. Uh, Sidibe and Chukwu at the same time would be intriguing. Not exactly sure how that would uh, work out, but Sidibe brings with him maybe a, a higher degree of skill to where he could maybe play more positions or further from the basket if it ever did uh, come to that. But uh, we shall see. Far from the first time this has happened, you know, uh, if even in recent years, to, to go into a game and have only uh, six players or, or that type of thing, it, it's, it is a not common, but it is something that's been done and been dealt with and uh, certainly by this coach uh, in uh, Coach Beheim, something that uh, I don't think really rattles him to the degree that it, that it might another team that isn't really used to this. Duke is sort of playing like this from time to time. They 
in the Virginia game, which they lost. They played six bench minutes uh, in the game last night in a blowout. It was obviously much different. So at point guard, it'll be up to Frank Howard to sort of return to form. Howard did not have a great game against Pittsburgh, and you may have heard his comments afterwards. Look, it was not going to be a game where he was going to have a, a great scoring effect. He had six points, four assists, was 0 for 4 from three-point range, and Coach Beheim had this to say following the game. Frank made a couple good penetrations in the second half. We got in the lane, and then we wanted Ty in the corner. Ty hit the one shot that we needed to have. I think that gave us separation. But it's a struggle for us some games to score points. And when that happens, you just have to play defense and do the best you can at the other end. Well, and that's talking about playmaking and making chicken salad out of you-know-what. Well, that's what happens sometimes, Frank Howard. If your shot's not falling or if you're not going to get a ton of opportunities, drive to the basket. Maybe you get to the lane or to the line, I'm sorry. Drive to the basket and maybe you hand it off to Barama or Pascal. Drive to the basket and maybe there's the then collapse to now Tyus or O'Shea open for threes. And so you can look for that in Frank Howard's game. Howard going against a freshman, in this case, Jose Alvarado, who will have a pretty good size advantage against in this game and then uh, Josh Kogi of uh, Georgia Tech they got kind of go six foot six five six four in uh, really sort of a three guard alignment where Syracuse will be bigger uh, against this uh, Georgia Tech team that does not score very well they're one of the uh, worst teams in the country scoring 66 points per game that's uh, currently ranks 322nd out of 350 in the country but the ups and downs of it we address this coming off the Pittsburgh game all part of the deal you're going to have ups and downs. That's just the way it is. We're, we're up and down, and I have to be patient as much as I can be, which is not that easy. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're they're doing everything they can to try to get there. And even the, the games we've lost, they've been right there. They've done everything you could ask them to do. But uh, we, we got to get older quicker. Well, good luck with that. That's uh, really part of the challenge of uh, – trying to develop your team at this level. Notre Dame's an old team, and that's an, an old program that uh, hangs its hat on getting four- and five-year players. And uh, now they're brittle, be, or not brittle, but they are playing without players that are injured. And uh, Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell and Rex Fluger missed time the other day, and they got blasted last night at Duke, just could not keep up with an undermanned bunch. Not positive Syracuse will be able to hang with the very best teams in this league, two of which they have coming in the next couple of games as they play against uh, Virginia at home on Saturday and then at Louisville on Monday. But they can hang in there with virtually everybody else. And then it comes down to how did you play on on any given day and uh, take care of business. And the more one way to get your team better or to get older is they're playing so cohesively or with the same group of guys. Um, that is sort of incubating it, I would think, to a degree. Now, you're – completely inexperienced players like Matthew Moyer and Howard Washington. They're not available due to injury. They're not getting any better during this period. But Barama Sidibe is maybe going to get more minutes than uh, he otherwise would. And the guys, uh, Marek Dolajai was getting more minutes than he otherwise would. And now that they're on the floor together, uh, there has to be some benefit to that. I I can't imagine there's a lot of secrets or uh, miscommunication or questions Frank Howard, Tyus, Battle, O'Shea, Brissett now. They're playing 37 minutes a game together. Uh, so that level of cohesiveness has to 
not only be there but get better as the season goes on and you find ways to uh, cash in on that. So it's the Orange and Georgia Tech tomorrow. We'll talk Super Bowl later in the week, and maybe I'll be in a better mood by the end of the week related to some of this. Every year with the the media crush and the guy with the microphone on a pole stuck out and asking these just ridiculously stupid questions for the sake of it. Hey, Bill Belichick, what gets you to laugh? Am I just being cranky old man on that, or, or are other people over it? No, I, I think it's uh, played out, to say the least. Enough. Enough. The crutch? There's too much. We'll have, we're not putting anything back in the bottle. There's too much media access with this stuff, and there's a lot of content to be made, and I understand the arguments for it. But if that's how it's going to be used, it kind of gives a bad face to the football writers and the baseball writers associations that you know negotiate for that kind of time and all the press come. What more needs to be said on an every single day basis, particularly with this bunch? The Patriots don't say anything. So uh, we'll see at the end of the week. We'll get into some of those prop bets. Those are always fun. We'll talk uh, about the Georgia Tech game on Thursday, Super Bowl Friday as we roll along. In the booth, talk to you from Atlanta tomorrow, everybody. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse.